0: Hi, my name is Aisha Addo and I'm the founder of Power2Girls Foundation and Driver. <laughs> and you're listening to Unfiltered, the podcast. So a lot of times I get the question, did I always you know, wanna be in the sector? So, like my bias said, I have two babies, as I like to call them. The first one is power to girls Foundation, which is my first child. Um, to all the mothers in the room, I do not mean to suspect. Um, it's just how I like to refer to my projects as my babies. <laughs> yes. They drive me insane. Um, <laughs> so the very first one is power to girls Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization. But realistically speaking, Pirates of Girls started really because I came to Canada when I was 14, and you know, a 14-year-old, your very first experience of Canada is in high school. So you can imagine sort of like the picture that was. And as I left high school and I started college. Number one, I had so many questions coming to Canada. Like, just so many. I mean, the snow is one thing and you just (laughs) wonder what the hell is happening. You know, 300 days out of the 365 days of the year. So... There was one, but then I think one of the main things was that as an immigrant, one, as a person of color, and as a young woman, there were so many things that I wanted to know about. There's so many things that I had questions about. And then also just being plunged into a new country that, one, you know, you have a very thick African accent that people, for some weird reason, find it hard to understand. Um, Two, you are in an environment that is not necessarily created specifically for you. So you have to try and navigate all of those different spaces. And as a result, I started Pilots to Girls because realistically speaking, I wanted to find where do I fit in Canada, if that's the right way to say it. But then again, how does Aisha fit into Aisha? Like it was really a, a moment of me trying to figure out who I was as a person. So as we started that organization, I recognize that the girls that I got in contact with, the girls that I was mentoring, honestly started mentoring me more and challenging me more and holding me accountable more. So imagine going, you know, having a session and, you know, later on you're trying to do something else and they're like, Aisha, I remember you said this. And I'm like, oh, so you actually listened to me. Um, And it's really interesting because as I grew, the organization grew, as they grew, I grew. And it just became this beautiful thing where, like, Eight years later, we're still doing this, um, and we've been able to expand to Ghana. We've been able to really and truly, like, I guess make our mark in the school, the education system, because as a result, we were able to um, get a partnership with the Toronto Catholic School Board for us to actually run our programs there. However, see, that is the exciting part, but the part that in a lot of times, not even just in like nonprofit sector, but in like around entrepreneurship in its sense, the part that they don't tell you about is the, the, the as I like to call it, the nitty-gritty, like the behind the scenes, the parts that is not so glamorous, the parts that do not make it to the cover of Toronto Star, the parts that do not make it to, you know, breakfast television. Those are the parts that I personally like to talk about because, to be honest with you, if anyone had told me, like maybe when I was a teenager that I would become an entrepreneur, I will tell them, no, you are lying because I want to be comfortable. And being an entrepreneur is not comfortable. <laughs> um, it's not, don't do it, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> so before we got our very, like we're, we're, so I'm talking about Power to Girls now. So before we got our very major um, grant, I run power to girls out of my pocket for the first three, four years of the organization. And it was mainly because I really and truly believed in the work that we're doing and I love the work that we're doing. But then also because I got a chance to see young girls grow and I got a chance to be a part of their journey. I got a chance to inspire girls that their teachers had told them, you know what, you are not going to make it to university, you're not going to make it to college. I got the opportunity to see girls actually graduate with honors, not just in high school, but then also in university as well. So for me, it was really and truly like me living vicariously through all of these wonderful girls. And one of the main things that I realized is that like as we grew, then it's like comes more responsibility. Because then now you've set the buy so high that you yourself have to be able to go over it. Right. So I kept doing Pirates of Girls because I loved it. Um, So just in case I didn't talk about that. The, the not so glamorous part of my life. I actually studied accounting in, um, at George Brown. I hated it. You know, like, I, I'm gonna take you back to, like, you know, when you were in school and before the professor comes, everyone is having conversations, everyone is talking. He walks in, no one really cares that he's there. Um, but then this day he walked in and then he's like, you know what? All these things that I'm teaching you, you're not going to need in the real life, in, in the real world. But I have to teach you anyways, because it's in the curriculum. And I looked around, like, did anyone else hear? It felt like everyone else was doing their own thing. So to me, in that moment, I felt like he was talking directly to me. And I mean, at that point, OSAP had already taken my money, so there was no, like, there was no going back. You actually have to finish this course. So I ended up completing accounting, but then I didn't actually practice accounting. But what accounting did for me was that it actually really truly helped me in not just my business, but then my nonprofit as well. So right out of college, I continued with Pirates of Girls. Um, We started a Kenyan chapter, and yeah, we kept growing. But the beautiful thing about that is that the girls that we worked with when they were in high school, that got to university, came back, and they started doing the program. And throughout that process, and throughout my work with Power to Girls, I recognized another passion of mine. Well, not necessarily a passion of mine, it's just, for me, I always say that, like, my entire existence is around how do I create safe spaces for young girls and for women. And in doing that, I'm also creating spaces for myself, because just in case you didn't know, um, I'm a woman. <laughs> and I've been a girl before so it's it's one of those things that like I'm very passionate about and with every work that I do I'm the very first recipient I'm the very first um, beneficiary I'm the very first customer so it's easier for me to design these programs and it's easier for me to in a way create these spaces because I'm not only impacting or creating spaces for other women and creating spaces for myself as well so the same thing goes for power to girls. So essentially, I ended up becoming a designated driver because your babies grow up and they need you to take them places. They need you to be a big sister, be a friend, be a mom in some cases. And then also at the same time, they need you to be stern with them when you have to be and be nice with them when you have to be. Um, and one of the main things for me was that I built a relationship with all the girls that went through our programs in the sense that like, they became my little sisters because lucky for me, and actually this is something that I asked my parents not to give me a sister. So I have two brothers. So all these girls became my sisters. So as time went on, they became in a sense, like I said, my sisters, my my little sisters, they became my friends, they became everything. And with that came an even more responsibility because then now, when they're going out to party, I'm the one that they call, um, I'm the one that they would have to talk to, I'm the one that their parents have to talk to, um, or I'm the one that has to assure the parents that don't worry, I'll pick them up, I'll bring them back home. So again, my quote unquote free time is not so free anymore. It has become 24-7 on the call all the time. I'm not complaining, I love it. So. With that, I recognized, and part of the reason why I dedicated myself to become the designated driver was because my experience in Canada has taught me, had taught me two things at that time. One is that as a young woman, you have to be very careful wherever it is that you go. You always have to look over your shoulder. You always have to, in a sense... This might sound weird, but this, again, this was a lesson that I had that. So you always have to be careful everywhere that you go. You have to be careful about the things that you said. You have to be careful about the things that you wear, quote unquote. And then on top of that, as a black woman, you have to be even more careful. So for me, those are some of the things that were guiding me at that time in putting myself out there to become their designated driver. So I had young girls that, you know, for some of them, they were not they were going to school in at Ryerson for instance. They lived all the way in Etobicoke. During exam week, they would stay on campus, study with their friends and do all of that stuff. And before they realize it's past twelve o'clock and they have to go home. And the back, the last subway ride from Ryerson to Wilson Station is at twelve thirty. So you miss the train and then you're screwed so it's either you take a taxi or you find yourself you walk home <laughs> that's even an option so i ended up becoming their designated driver so in case of anything i was the one that they'll call um in in times when i was not available they would get into a taxi or whatever it may be and then i'll be the one that will be on the phone with them stay on the phone with me till you get home the moment the driver makes a turn let me know I'm gonna be on the phone with you. We're gonna have conversations, and this is because I have experienced that encounter where you get into a taxi, and the very first experience of a taxi that you get into is the doors locking. So sometimes it it's automatic, sometimes it's not. So the first thing that you hear is click, and you're like, okay, great, this is gonna be an amazing ride, and. <laughs> That's what you think until you get on the highway and then you're like, great, now there's no going back. I cannot roll out of the highway. And you have a taxi driver that's having a conversation with you that is slowly turning into something that is making you quite uncomfortable. Again, you are in someone else's space. So for most people, you can't... You know, you say, shut up, but they won't shut up because it's part of their quote-unquote work. Um, And luckily for me, my encounter didn't end in me getting physically harassed, but then the discomfort of that experience really and truly propelled me in ensuring that my girls don't have to experience the exact same thing that I experienced, hence becoming a busy driver. So now I'm gonna sort of in a way talk a little bit about how I, I moved from re- creating safe spaces for girls and turning that into creating safe spaces for women. Not, again, I have not forgotten about parts of girls. Parts of girls are still my first child, but then in order for me to have my second baby, I had to take some time away from my first baby. <laughs> um, so, as time went on, I realized that, okay, this is something that is becoming frequent. And luckily, as luck would have it, I remember I was on Facebook one time and I read an article about a lady that had started a taxi service in India. And, you know, third world problems, you always, well actually first world problems, you always read something about something that's happening in another country, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense, that's, yeah, that, totally, that's, yeah, it's India, it's Africa, yeah, sure, that makes absolute sense. So I shared it on our Priority Girls page, and for some reason I kept thinking about it. I'm like, well, it would be very interesting to have something like this here in Canada. But, again, it was a thought. So I let it go, um, but then I kept thinking about it. So I think about a week later, I was in charge. Um, the pastor was preaching, he was having fun, and I'm like legit sitting down writing a business plan. And I'm like, okay, this is this is very interesting. So I left church. I'm like, went to my friend, like, yo, I have the craziest idea. I have like, you know, I'm like, I wanna start a business. I wanna start um, a taxi service that's dedicated specifically for women. He's like, yeah, you do it, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, okay, great, we're gonna do this. Uh, I'm like, no, we're not gonna do this. And the idea scared me so much so, uh, for a very long time I actually put it on hold. And I'm just like, no, nope, not gonna do it, No. Nope. So I went again, uh, and I was having a conversation with my dad and I'm like, this is the idea that I have, this is something that I wanna do. So I started doing more research about it. And again, I kept pushing it away. And part of the reason why I kept pushing it away was because, well, yes, I did study business at Men accounting, but then this is a whole new world. This is not a nonprofit. Like, this is not something that you can go up to people and say, like, listen, this is what I'm doing. So provide me with donations. It's not like that. So I wrestled with it. And I wrestled with it also because I thought, well, when I read the article about the one that had started in India, to me, it made sense because this was around the time where we had heard about the gang rape of the young lady in the bus. This is around the time that you hear stories of women that walk out of the door and, you know, they get kidnapped or the women that, you know, get harassed, get assaulted just because so. To me, it was, the question was, is this something that Canadian women experience, right? Um, is this something that Canadian women would find important to them? So wrestling with the idea, wrestling with the idea, I came back from Ghana and I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine that was a business developer and I'm like, I have this idea so I don't know what to do with it. So we ended up creating a business model canvas. Um, And I'm like, okay, great. This is amazing. And one of the things that they don't tell you about all of these things, and again, the reason why I said entrepreneurship is a trap, because they will tell you, you know, create that business model canvas, create all of those things. It's going to be amazing. It's going to help you identify all of the things that you can do with your business. But what they don't tell you is that that little piece of paper can become the biggest scare in your life. So I was holding onto this piece of paper. I'm like, okay, great. This is amazing. Yeah, like, you know, we know where our channel, so we know where our revenue is going to come from. We know all of these things. But again, do I want to be the one to do it? So as luck would have it, I actually ended up having a meeting with my mentor. And I said to her, I have this idea. This is what I want to do. And then she goes, okay, great. There's a pitch competition, apply. I'm like, what? (laughs) This is not going to happen. She's like, no, apply. So I applied and... I think if the pitch competition is tomorrow, I got a call today at like 8 p.m. Hey, Asha. Uh, so by the way, you're going to be pitching tomorrow. <laughs> My like, pitcher what? It's like your business idea. I'm like, oh, okay, great. How many people are going to be pitching? Four. Amazing. So I got to the place, and the amazing thing about this pitch competition is that the audience is the one that actually gets to choose the winner, not like a bunch of judges that are going to ask you really like... It's not like... It wasn't a shark tank. It was just people um, and for me I was like okay great this is a way for me to test if this is actually going to be a thing this is a way for me to get to the people that are actually going to use this service so we got to the pitch competition and it was like the universe was just on my side that day instead of four people that was supposed to pitch including me it was just two of us so it was myself and another guy um, so we got on the stage We all did our thing, and then now it's time for the audience to choose. So before that, what no one knows is that before that, I went around, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna pitch. I don't care if you like it or not, vote for me. Um, (laughs) I'm like, like I, I legit went up to the people that I knew. I'm like, hey, so there's gonna be a pitch competition later. Download the app. Vote for me. Download the app. Vote for me. Like, and they're like, "What are you pitching on?" Like, you find out. <laughs> and I'm like, even if you don't like it, vote for me. And at that time, it was a five, it was a five thousand um, dollar seed fund for your, um, for your startup. So I went on there and then I, <laughs> I pitched. See, now it's gonna sound like I bought votes. i bought <laughs> <laughs> So I went on there and then I pitched and. I remember standing there and like literally closing my eyes. And the thing is, it's, it's a live voting system. So all you see is the graph just going like this. I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. So I closed my eyes and I had a friend in the audience and she's like, you got this, you got this. So they're like, okay, I ended up being the winner. I did not buy votes, I promise. <laughs> I ended up being the winner. But one of the things that was monumental to me that day was that what I didn't realize is that now I'm held accountable to these people and to this money. Because now you have someone else's money in your hand. You got to do this. So I ended up going and I'm like, okay, great. This is something that we have to do now. So a lady came up to me after and she's like, oh my God, you have no idea how long I've been waiting for this. And in that very moment, I knew that there was no going back. And that if anything, if all else fails, this lady is the person that I'm building this for. So fast forward, yes, we did it. We did our beta last year. And then, again, the part about entrepreneurship that no one tells you about, it's hard as, can I say F? (laughs) 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 Um, It's hard as fuck, bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, Yeah, it's really hard. And I guess, how many of you here are engineers? Oh, okay. yay! <laughs> so, I'm not a tech person. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, like I said, math, nonprofit, social, like, I'm an activist, fam. And <laughs> I'm an activist, a social activist, or a socialist that is building a tech business. he scoffs. <laughs> <Myself. laughs> <laughs> So, you can imagine my frustration when, as everything unfolds, I recognize that, crap, I have to build a tech platform. You can't build a tech platform for $5,000. Um, can you? Because if you can, please, someone show me the way. <laughs> and and then on top of that, like we also... We, so, one of the key things that I did at the beginning was that I, I created a press release. So I woke up one day, I'm like, I don't want to create something that I don't know if people are going to use. So I woke up one day, I'm like, I'm going to create a press release. So I created a press release and I sent it out. What I didn't know was that Toronto Star will pick it up, CBC will pick it up, <laughs> Metro Morning will pick it up. So now I have all these people that are like, yo, this is so amazing. This is going to happen. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not for you. I want to know if women are going to use this. and. Most of our women even going to drive? Actually, do you even know what Driver is about? <laughs> no? Yes, maybe slightly okay. Yeah. So, okay, so, backtrack. I apologize, I should have done that at the beginning. <laughs> so Driver is a rideshare platform, but then our dedication is specific to women by women. So we target female drivers and female passengers. And of course, the reason is because we wanted to create a safer experience, a safer travel experience for women um, by women. So we're not just looking at the user but we're also looking at the person that's actually providing the service um so yeah I wanted to find out is this something that women are actually going to use and hence the reason why we get the press release because I wanted to I wanted to hear from women so we put it out there and I'm like okay this is something that's coming to Toronto soon would you use it although the press did not phrase it like that they said Female-only rideshare service coming to Toronto August 20... I think it was 2017 or 2016 at that time. Holy <laughs> oh, crap. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we have to launch by August. and <laughs> This is funny to me, guys, because I'm the only one that experiences it. And <laughs> sorry, I apologize. Um. Yeah, I'm like, okay, great, but crap because now we have people that are like, when can I order the service? I'm like, didn't you read August 2016? So we have all these people. Are like, funny enough, I ended up I had I had a conversation with um, a mentor, and he's like, if you're able to sign up up to ten drivers, then you have a business. I'm like, ten. He's like, yeah. You have to find out if 10 people are willing to drive. So after we did all of that, we had over a hundred signups in terms of like, driver's alone, And then we had over 200, 300 women that were ready to use the service that at that point in time, we did not even have a platform that we we're gonna use for it. Um, so being the non-technical person that I am, we started finding alternatives, started looking for alternatives. So we ended up finding a white label version, a white label taxi app version that we could use. So we were all set, ready to go, and then um, we're having a conversation with our insurance company. So just when we were about to launch, the insurance is like, okay, no, we have a new policy now. We have a new policy now specifically for rideshare platforms. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, but you're outsourcing your application, so basically you have to figure out how we're going to do that. I'm like, okay, let's, like, get to it already. So throughout the process of trying to get insurance, we recognize that the white label version that we had paid for, that at that time, costs $5,000, <laughs> don't do it, don't become an entrepreneur, okay, <laughs> don't do it. Then it costs $5,000, we can't use it. So we're like, okay, oh, great, we're gonna build our own platform from scratch. But you see, from an operation standpoint, we understood that. From a customer standpoint, they don't get that. You promised them August 2016. August, come August 2016, they're asking you for where's the service. So something that was supposed to take three months or four months ended up taking like a year and a half. And I'm like, holy shit. And I mean, you, the, the folks that develop, like, you know, he's like, he's, he's like, that's accurate, that's accurate. You know, so that was, that was the experience. So, we built, um, it literally took us about a year for us to like, negotiate with insurance, um, and then the city had also come up with like, new regulations around ride share platforms, so now we have to wrestle with the city. <laughs> and then now we have to wrestle with the city in terms of like if having a female-only service was enough, like, if that was okay, like, it was just a lot of work. So now this is going to be the heartbreaking part. So there's a like, this there's, there's a climax to the story. <clears throat> but then hopefully at the end, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. um, So yeah, about a year and a half. So we ended up creating a building, and we are like, okay, we're finally at a point where we can actually put the service out there. Um, at least our phase one, or like a beta. So we decided to do that, we launch it, it's great it was so amazing that like the platform actually crashed on the first day. <laughs> um, yeah, it crashed on the first day and I'm just like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm like, this is, I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. So it crashed on the first day and I was like, great. Fixed it. Everything is great. <laughs> and then there was someone like, sitting somewhere in wherever the person was sitting that's like, yo, I'm just going to mess with these people. Not recognizing the amount of work that has gone into it. Not caring the amount of work that has gone into it. Not caring the amount of tears that had like, gone into it. Like The person just did not give a F. Um, hacked us. So that now, <laughs> on top of everything else, we have to deal with the security breach. And I'm laughing now because... I've had a lot of time to process it and to deal with it, but on that day, I was actually crying. Like, I was just bawling my eyes out because I'm like, wow, no one sees the amount of work that goes into you putting something out there. The people that get to experience it, yes, you've put in a lot of thought for them, but No one sees the behind the scenes. No one sees the work. No one sees the times that you have to hassle with the insurance company, with the city, with all these different people, just to make this possible. So then, as if the person that decides to hack us, like they, it wasn't enough, they decide to send it to the Toronto Star. (laughs) They decide to send it to the Toronto Star. And at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm tired. So, as a result, and when we did launch the app, we had over three thousand women that downloaded the app, and like this is in the GTA alone, we had about a hundred and twenty drivers that were on the platform at that time, and we had about sixty of them that were ready to actually be on the road. So af- after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired. <laughs> So what we ended up doing was that we actually ended up closing it down. We actually took it offline because one, the incident that happened, we took care of that the very same day. But then it was really just recognizing that you can do all the right things and something will go wrong somewhere, somehow, somewhere. So we took it down, and over the past couple of months, been focusing more on, like again, not just restarting it, but then how can we, one, ensure that the platform is more secure in all these different aspects. So we're finally ready to <laughs> relaunch again. So I'm gonna give another analogy to the mothers, please bear with me. Um, so imagine having your baby prematurely, that's how I like to say it, um, and having to put her in an incubator. And it's like, once they're in the incubator, you can touch her. You can, you know, from time to time, hold her. And again, I also watch a lot of Grace Anatomy, so. <laughs> <laughs> you can touch her. You can do all of those things. But then one of the key things that you can do is that you can't take her out, right? Because if you take her out for too long, she's going to die. So you get to the point where the doctor finally comes and is like, okay, you're ready to take your baby home. And as the mother that you are and knowing the amount of work that has gone into her and knowing the amount of tears that has happened, like just the amount of effort, work, all of those things that you've put into it, being afraid to actually put your baby out there again. And like, to be honest with you, that's where I'm at. But then like really being at the point where you're just like, crap, like, do you want to put this out there again? You know? But then... In those moments when you do want to give up, and in those moments when you feel like, do I want to do this again? Do we want to put this out there again? You'd have people that will reach out, like fathers that will reach out, mothers that will reach out, um, individuals that will reach out and say, I'm waiting for this, I'm ready for this. Um, And for me, the most profound one, and I always share that because... I don't think that young lady understood the power of, like, her actually reaching out to me and saying those things to me. But I remember, actually, after the breach, about a month after the breach, I was about ready to put a note out on Instagram and say, deuces, Toronto, it was real. Um, and this young lady sent me an email, and she sent it to our general account. And she addressed the email to me specifically. Like, this email is for I show And then she started, this is all the reasons why you can't give up. (laughs) And I read the long-ass email, and I just started crying. And in that moment, I recognized that even if the whole of Toronto, all the women in Toronto are like, Aisha, you suck. This is the woman that I'm creating this for. This young lady is the reason why I'm building this. So I guess in all of this spiel that I've been talking about for God knows how long, one of the things that I really and truly wanted to talk about was for me specifically is how do we use technology to create social good? How do we use technology to change status goals? How do we use technology in a sense to build environments and communities that for a very long time a lot of people did not think existed or a lot of people did not think was worth it? Um, The amount of times that like I've had people say to me, why do you think women are a market? Or why women? The amount of times that I've heard that is so many. But then one of the things that keeps pushing me is recognizing that in creating safe spaces for young women and for for, for women and girls, we are changing the way that women travel. So for us at Drive, her yes, the one of the main things is around pro- providing the connected rides. But then more than that, it's How are we building community? How are we actually creating a space that allows for women to connect with each other? As we were recruiting our drivers and actually having conversations with our drivers, one of the things that we realized is that each and every one of them had a story. And more importantly, each and every one of them were entrepreneurs in their own way and in their own right. So for us, it's how are we connecting these entrepreneurs, these badass women, these women that are taking care of their grandchildren, these women that are in a sense, putting the putting safety, their safety in their own hands? How are we connecting them to other women that are doing other amazing things, right? How are we con- connecting them to, quote-unquote, like, even potential customers, right? How are we creating that space that allows for them to connect with each other? So that essentially is, like, my entrepreneurial journey. Um, are we... Am I going to give up? Right now, there's no going back, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Because... I recognize that building Driver is beyond myself, but one thing that I do wanna leave everyone with is that in your everyday life, in your everyday work life, in your respective fields, in your respective sectors, I think it's really important for you to challenge yourself and for you to ask yourself every single day, how is everything that I'm building, or even the work that I'm in, how is it impacting the people around me? How is it impacting the world after me? So for me, everything that I build is a question of, When my girls, who are now starting in elementary, when they get to my stage, what are some of the challenges that I face that they wouldn't have to face, right? So I loved the fact that this young lady reminded me as to why I started driver, but then more importantly, she also challenged me to see beyond today and see beyond just the little community that we have here or just the little community that we have in Canada. Um, and to recognize that there are people that are sometimes more privileged than we are, sometimes less privileged than we are, that will utilize the things that we create because they know how it impacts them. This is unfiltered.